You're listening to the Relationship-Centered Learning Podcast, a podcast to inspire and empower you to be a difference maker in a dysfunctional educational system. Hear weekly from adults and students who are having a radical impact in the education space as they share from their minds and hearts, giving us practical tools that we can take back to our classrooms and campuses. Here to take you outside the educational box is author, disruptor, and your host, Kevin Curtis. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. On today's episode, I interview Hal Bowman. Hal is a speaker, podcaster, and author. He has dedicated his life to helping the nation's best teachers and schools reach a new level of excellence. Each year, he captivates tens of thousands of students and teachers with his powerful message of hope and what can be. His attitude and demeanor may be unconventional and unexpected in the historical reserve world of education. But he is real, he is solid, and his deep and genuine compassion for students, teachers, and schools shines through. I consider him a mentor, a colleague, and even a friend. I hope you will enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Welcome to the Relationship Center Learning Podcast, where we put relationships at the center of all learning. I am excited and pumped today to have my brother from another mother stealing from your show, Hal Bowman on the show. Hal, welcome to the show, brother. Thank you, man. Every time we see each other on screen, I think, man, look at our heads are shining, <laughs> our beards are good. Well, that's that's why I said I know you, I know you do, brother from another mother, but it just came out natural because, like you said, the beard, yep. the heads, we're doing everything. Also, uh, the heart, man. Every time we talk, I mean, we have so much in common in terms of soul and heart and what we do and what we do and all that. Oh man, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. And. For me, I, I gotten to know you through so many different, you know, methods in, in so many different platforms, but I'm ready for a guest to kind of get a chance to know you. So we'll, we'll start out just like we normally do. We always do GTKY. We connect before we content. So how we'll do the flip five. I've got five simple GTKY questions for you. You can flip five back at me and then we can get started. And as we're doing the questions, you can answer my questions and vice versa. So we can really get a chance to know each other. But mine's really one simple starting off with, I know that you were a music teacher in the past. So I'm just going to ask you a simple music question to kind of kick this off. What's your favorite music group of all time? Well, here's the thing, man. I don't know. I binge <laughs> so much music where like I love a group and then I binge it. It's all I do. And then I can't get into them anymore because I'm just overwhelmed and still. But if I had to go back in terms of uh, popular music, probably just Led Zeppelin. Mm. That's awesome. Well, you know, what's so funny is I don't think people realize like you, I've heard you talk about your music background and just, right. I was eight and a half years younger than my siblings. So I grew up listening to sticks and yeah. Led Zeppelin and fog hat and all the, you know, this, 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 the error, right. Of this rock music that I, that people are like, Holy cow, how do you know it? Right. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, because I grew up as an infant listening to it as my older brothers and sisters would get into it. So yeah. classic rock to me, was like a foundation but then yeah, my parents listened sure. to old country so charlie pride and freddie fender and you know yeah. so i had this old school of mixture but then you get me in the 90s and i'm djing to like rap and r&b <laughs> you know what i mean so i'm a world mixture of music but I, I would have to say uh i i like led zeppelin i was just say journey journey to me was a really really powerful group growing up yeah for sure for music i was in junior high when that when that big album came out i remember that was eighth grade i remember all the kids coming to school the next day back when they were about wearing their concert t-shirt the you know three-quarter sleeve baseball jersey by the concert for forty dollars 
And man, I thought, geez, well, let, let me figure this journey thing out. Cause I, I didn't know anything about it. I wasn't into it. Right. And it was right when I moved from New Jersey to Texas, I was trying to figure out this whole new music thing that was happening here. And uh, man, I can tell you, dude, like it would, you know, for me, I think through my childhood, like the music thing was such a huge part of my life because MTV just came out and that was such a visual representation of all that I've been listening to. It was a life changer. You know, the first video I ever saw on MTV was Lover Boy. I, I just, it was the, with the red leather pants and all Working this stuff. For the weekend, man. Yeah, so that's why I was saying, man, it was just like, you could, it brought music to life, right? We could yeah. see it visually. So, oh man, great question. All right, I'm going to go to food. What's one food you just don't like, no matter how it's prepared? Oh, one food you don't like. One. Or, you know, what, here's the, all right, this doesn't count. But I'm gonna, listen, yeah, I'm allergic to so many foods that what I can eat, I pretty much like all of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay, you so know, give me a food you're allergic to then. All that we'd, we'd be surprised. I'm, I'm the, you know, you know, the kid in school that you can't have peanuts. That's uh-huh. Really? Yeah. So, like when you get on back in the day, you get on a flight with Southwest Airlines and they're passing out the pretzels instead of the peanuts. Uh-huh. That's because I'm, I'm probably on that airplane somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and I was allergic to dairy, so no milk, no eggs, none of that stuff, no butter. And, you know, so so I was the kid where, like, you know, I'd show up at the birthday party and everybody's eating cake. I'm sitting by myself in the corner, you know. In, in fact, oh, no. dude, my nickname was Hallergy. No! How? <laughs> Stop. Hallergy? Okay. That was definitely something I didn't see coming. Okay. I'm going to stick with something easy as Brussels sprouts because I have tried Brussels sprouts, you know, and it's one of those things. But I always tell people when I say that at a training, they're like, you haven't had my Brussels sprouts with bacon and olive oil. Right. I'm like, olive look, oil, I'm, I'm like, look, I've had Brussels sprouts. I, I, right. I just don't like them. So, you know, at the end of the day, don't try to convince me. I just don't like Brussels sprouts. Um, I got to tell you, man, this uh, there's a dish that they have in my house because my mother-in-law brings it. And it's kind of a tradition. You have to have it at Thanksgiving. It is orange jello with mandarin oranges inside the jello. Uh-huh. Here comes the kicker. On top is melted marshmallows with cheddar cheese. <laughs> okay. And I'm like, I can't. I can't <laughs> eat that. Now she's from Alabama. And I was doing a, I was speaking in Alabama. And at the break, I said, let me ask you guys a question. My mother-in-law has this dish. She says it's an Alabama dish. Uh-huh. Orange jello, mandarin oranges, you know, marshmallows, cheddar cheese. And she is this an Alabama dish? And this teacher raises her hand. She's an older woman. She says, Honey, that dish doesn't mean that you're your your mother-in-law's from Alabama. That goes, that just means your mother-in-law was poor. <laughs> <laughs> like that's all they had left in the house. Made- you're like in. And some cheese, right? <laughs> and some cheese to finish it oh my God. Well, speaking of family, question number three, what's your favorite thing to do with your family? Seriously, what's your favorite thing to do? You know, we, we, uh, we're, we're a funny family. And like, I think my favorite thing, I was thinking about this, my daughter was home for spring break and we do all kind of cool family stuff, but you know, what's really cool is just we're hanging out together we're in the backyard and we're just telling stories and, and joking around and, and being mm-hmm. fun and teasing and, like we like that like that's our thing oh i think that's every i mean i don't know many people that don't like you know we just talked about like even if you get together as a, a group of family friends you sit around the fire or you sit around a table in the kitchen or whatever backyard i mean i think that connectedness of when you're sharing right. stories and laughing and making fun of each other and re- remembering the 
cheddar cheese on the jello yeah. and you know it's just that kind of stuff i mean i don't know what it is about those moments that like just like not only make us feel whole they like fill our bucket you know and you're and you and you like you can't wait to have more of those and yet right. there's so far few between them so you're like i can't wait to have that again right just like in the classroom like yeah. when you have those moments with kids in a classroom, that's when the learning really happens because like we're doing right now, you're connected first. You, like we, we always talk about the classroom family, but until you do some family things in the classroom, it's really not a family. Yeah, no, I think that's well said. So then I have the question you, because I have, this was, there's, this is, I have an answer for this one. Do you have a favorite word? Do you have like a favorite word that really like resonates with you? And if you do, is there a why behind it? A favorite word that resonates with me is man i'm thinking back when my children were born we did some ceremonies for both children when they were born and you could bring a gift to the ceremony it's based on a native american tradition that we found we just loved and connected with so we put let's do this for our own kids and so we bring all of our family friends circle to the home and we have a newborn baby and everybody presents the baby with a gift and the story with that goes along with that gift and my um that i did for both of them was I got the letters W-O-W and I glued them together, those big block letters you buy at Michael's or Hobby Lobby. And it says, wow. And that's what I really wanted for my kids. Like in their life, a sense of wow. At every turn, you know, figure out when you're in school, when you're with your friends, when you're choosing a career, when you're choosing a, a love partner in life, like to be filled with a sense of wow. Because if you have that, Man, it cancels out fear. It cancels out being worried about being intimidated, worrying about what other people, if you're filled with, wow, mm. man, like that, that cancels out so many negative emotions. Oh, wow. No, that wow. I just said, wow. I didn't even realize it. Yeah, no, that, I think that's, that, that, that's powerful in powerful, but yet simple. Right. Yeah. The only reason I asked this question is, is the people that got to know me personally and even professionally, the word believe, like the word believe, and I'm not even going it as like a Christianity thing. I like the word believe. There was something that when I got into teaching and coaching that I recognized like, well, what will separate me from the other coaches or from that group? And I always said, you know, it's about how you believe in each other. And when you believe me and believe is something you can't see, right? Like it's that, that, that hope, that faith, it's like those words. And I remember how I used to, we used to sign a baseball every, at the beginning of, I was a baseball coach. And so we'd sign this baseball and we'd all put the word believe on it. And then we used to sign it and we used to hold it and it would be in the dugout and it was symbolic and all this stuff. And then at one time we would sign a baseball and we would cut the baseball open and you know if you're familiar with the inside of the baseball it's basically like a yarn like and then yeah. we would cut and we would wear bracelets and necklaces and we would wear them during the game and so every time we play I would cut them off and we would wear them and it would show the sign of unity and belief and and so it's crazy as before you knew it my office was filled with belief like believe I'd get signs and different letters and plaques and I look turn around I'm like oh my god I got 64 times 64 signs of believe and then when I went to get my first tattoo ever the guy was like what do you want i said i don't know but i want the word believe and i need the word believe on my body it's the only yeah. word that resonates with me as far as that i believe in kids i believe in i do believe in christ i do believe in teachers can make a difference i do believe i believe i believe and so yeah man believe just became like my word you know yeah. not that i own I mean, it but people knew associated with me and they were like oh that's his word like if you knew kevin that's going to be his word 
it's such a powerful, not just word, but also concept. And I had this conversation just recently with the principal. I spoke at her school, at her middle school, and I did I have a program called Be the One, where I go in and work with kids and teachers. And thought today I went and doing my student leadership workshop. I asked for leaders. Yes, we want their team leaders and the student organization leaders, but also the unofficial leaders that are leading, you know, non-sanctioned, non-supported uh, <laughs> school programs and organizations on campus. And so we put them all together. And one of the things we start off with immediately as we get in a circle we, we hold hands we do these cheers and chants all this fun stuff and in the corner of my eye I could see the principal and the associate and the assistant and some teachers lined up and they have their hand over their mouth and their eyes are wide open and at the end of the day we're talking she goes we just could not believe how instantly you had to, they were holding hands mm -hmm. these kids don't know each other they don't like each other and we just could not believe how you just said here's what we're doing they did it and I said well the difference is I know they're going to do it and it sounds kind of super, sounds kind of a little woo-woo, you know, <laughs> but I believe, I know there's, there's not a single cell in my body that doesn't know for sure they're going to do it, they're going to buy in, and they're going to love it. Like, if you even doubt it just a tiny bit, they're not going to do it. I believe that they will. Yeah. Which is crazy because, you know, you joked about, or you, you referenced earlier about, you know, circles and things that are along with restorative practices. And it's crazy because it, it doesn't matter the shape that I get the group in. It's how I shape that conversation, yeah. how I shape the ideas, as you said. And if I shape them with the idea that, hey, I believe in you, and so does he, and so does she. And, and if we can create, and what I think what teachers are astonished, in my opinion, is they're, they're taken aback of like, how did you do that so quickly, not even knowing these kids? Or like you said, you, I hear the same things. And I do believe that it comes back to that. Like, I believe that what I'm showing you, what I'm believe, what I'm bringing to you and what I'm preaching and teaching is literally going to make a difference. And I know it. And so they don't doubt you. So therefore there's like, it takes that doubt out of the air. Right. And then all of a sudden you get, and people are connected and they're saying things that they never said before. They're sharing things about themselves that they never shared before. They're 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 realizing that the kid next to him is not a POS. You know, they're they're just all of a sudden these things happening and all these curtains and all these layers just start coming down and all of a sudden we're just there as human beings and then you're like then they're like holy cow how did we get here yeah and I think that's quote unquote the magic but as you said man kumbaya you know for the people from the outside that didn't feel it didn't catch right. it man i you know how much i get the backlash of the you know that touchy feely right yeah. kumbaya, and it really is a feeling like they would ask me like what did you say how did you get them to do that you could say the same thing they're not going to do it because you don't believe that they will i know they will it's, it's a completely different set of confidence in my and they can feel it like they can feel it no i totally agree all right, my last simple question. I love this question. It recently was introduced to me, so I'm going to share it with you. If Hal Bowman was an action figure, what two accessories are coming with Hal Bowman? First of all, let me just say, that I don't know what you're talking about. This if Hal Bowman, <laughs> I, brother, I am an action figure. Let's get that straight. <laughs> Man, I think, um, I, think uh, I want some sort of... That fancy, the, the glove, man, stainless steel. I don't know what this thing does, but I just want to wear it. I don't think it has to do anything. Because if you've got that thing on, people know something can, something's going to happen. Okay. So I'm taking that. And, I mean, listen, dude, you got to have a cape. You know, I mean, 
Why, a cape why, and a glove, right? Why would you not have a cape? Like what signifies? I mean, you you walk into a room, you want to command some respect, but uh-huh. put on a cape. You know, and I remember my uh, my my daughter went through a phase of wearing a cape everywhere she went when she's you know four or five or something. Yeah. And I said, um, I asked her one day, "Hey, Billy, why why are you wearing a cape?" And she looks and she goes, "Why would I not?" <laughs> exactly. Why why would you not? I don't know. Keep wearing the cape. Oh my God. Well, here's the deal. Why would we not have this conversation before we jump into the content, man? So, hey, connections before content, just like we do on the show, just like we want you to get into the classroom, get an opportunity to use GTKY questions with your students, get to know them, build a relationship with them. Just take a moment a day. If you're looking for more GTKY questions or examples, or you want to join our weekly circles or our Facebook group, head over to rclfirst.com. All right, that's out of the way, Hal. So, all right. As I mentioned, I I have grown to know you and to love you and to aspire to very to aspire to follow in some of your step footsteps in what you bring to schools. Now, the whole thing is I've heard you tell this story, but other people have made me haven't have heard this. But I just always have to ask myself because one, when I see what you used to look like physically, I see night and day, right? And yep. then I hear when you were a teacher and what you used to think and feel. And what you, you know, what you, the message you bring today, completely different. So can we take them through a transformation of, of from halogy to how? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, first of all, I think what was different for me is I, you know, I had no business being a teacher, number, number one, um, you know, from looking from the outside in simply because, man, I was super unsuccessful in school. I didn't like school. I didn't connect with it. I, you know, I was a part of some organizations I liked. I just wasn't, I mean, I was, you know, I was valedictorian my senior year of the fourth quarter. Like I was number one in the fourth quarter of the class. <laughs> so, Way to finish strong, Hal. <laughs> right, exactly. That that was pushing it, man. I really brought it up in the middle of the fourth quarter. And, and you know what, man, like it, just college wasn't in my plans in my mind, but my mom had me convinced that you you're, you had two choices. One, you're going to spend your life working in fast food restaurants or you go to college. Like, and I believed her. And so I went to college and there was some sort of a clerical mix up and they admitted me and I went and, you know, there's a number of years and attempts and, and different majors. And I ended up as a music education major. And which is interesting because I went back to student teach at the same high school I graduated from. And that was a shocker when I walked in and uh, like, are you kidding me? Him? <laughs> and and so I I, went, I started teaching and brother I was you know when, once I graduated and I showed up in my first classroom it was a tiny little town K through 12 you know you teach them all crisscross applesauce to the big you know hairy sweaty tattooed stinky ones and and you know I had no idea what I was doing just because you know I, I didn't really have a kind of a nurturing teacher type personality yet you know I was just a guy and I got little, I'm teaching kindergarten, man, and all the way through seniors. And so I just struggled. And, and you know what? One of the main things that brought me around was my mom asking me one day, we sat down for a long time talking about what do you really want for your kids as a result of them spending their lives with you. If you could have anything for your kids. Okay. So I got it. That's your tagline. Yeah. No, no, no. So that's your tagline. I hear you right. say that more than anything yeah. else. So Huge. I'm trying to understand. So did that, so that originated from your mom having yep. this conversation with you? First Friday, my, it was my fifth day of teaching Friday night. Cause I came home and she, she was staying with me 
and you know, in my, in this little tiny town and, and, and I was crying, man. And she knew I was suffering and, and like in her mind, that's the motivation that takes a teacher through their career. And if you don't have that, you're not going to make it. That's why I see so many teachers wash out. You know, we lose 50% every five years. So it really began on that day with her writing on a, on her, you know, yellow legal pad with her red pen, you know, if you could have anything for your kids, like what's the lesson you want them to think about forever because of you. And, and, and that's how you're going to teach your class, whatever it is, doesn't matter the subject matter, that's going to be the vehicle to teach that one ultimate lesson. And man, like, you know, and that really, it changed everything for me, you know, as a, as a teacher, because it, rather than just teaching content or in band, you know, winning a trophy or whatever, it really gave me purpose as a human being in this career and what I wanted to achieve. So, so I, I, when I, when, when you just described that last little bit, I imagine like how is a compass that's just spinning, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden mom sits you down on a Friday night, pulls out her legal pad, goes from like, not just mom, but also like co educate you know, because your mom's an educator, yep. Yep. You know, leader. And so now she puts on these dual hats, like I'm going to be your mom, but I'm also going to be a school leader. And I'm going to ask you these things. And we're going to reflect on these things. And then what I hear you saying is, is like, so then all of a sudden your compass started pointing in a different direction. Yeah. Was it, direction. I mean, and for some people, was it that simple? How that really started putting you on a different path? That it one was conversation that simple to, to start bringing it into focus. Okay. So you're at a spinning, you're starting to get, you're starting yeah. to like go north or wherever the right. direction you're going, We're right? Going somewhere between <laughs> northeast and northwest, back and forth, you know, right. always within there. It gave me some direction. Okay. Because you're still a mess, you know, at the age of, you know, you're in your early 20s and you have really have no idea what you're doing. And in a tiny little town, you know, I was kind of isolated. You know, I was the only person there. You know, I was, I was, I'd like to call myself the director of fine arts because I'm the band director and they have nothing else. <laughs> Right. And, and, you know, and so um, there were some amazing educators there and some amazing people that um, lived there. For those of you who have never taught in a small town, there are like I'm talking heroic work being done. And these awesome educators that serve as leaders for these kids because they know the they teach them for they teach them for 12 and 13 years. These teachers. And all these kids are coming back to bring their own kids to that same school. And they're going to be part of the, an influential part of the community because you have to in a small town. These kids, they know are going to be on the school board. They're going to be on the city council. They're going to be the mayor. They're going to be the sheriff. They're going to be the account. They're going to be the all state agent. And there's such an investment in the lives of these kids. And so as I left that small town, I thought, you know what, man, I could do, I could bring that same attitude and the same belief and the same focus to a larger school and a larger campus in a suburb. So it's funny you said that because much like me, I started in small schools too. And what's interesting is I was at a 2A and I, I had gotten my first head baseball job. And I was told by my superintendent, who was actually the athletic director, talk about small tool, right? right you could do yeah. both dual roles. He had literally said one statement to me, he said, you know, Kevin, I think you're really talented at coaching young men, particularly in baseball. And I'd done football and baseball. And he said, um, I, and this is how he planted a seed. He said, I think you could really do this at some bigger levels, at some bigger schools, right? And so I 
took it to heart, Hal, and I started applying to bigger schools. And he was yeah. like, what are you doing? I was like, well, you said I could do this, you know? And so it was crazy because I took that same attitude and I just, you know, went from a 2A to a 3A, from a 3A, you know, and then just started realizing. And then even when I went from head baseball coach, I was like, I want to be an, I want to be a head football coach. So I, teaching to me was crazy because to me, and I'm being very honest here, teaching was the, 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 the platform that got me to coaching. I love teaching, but I love coaching. But yep. at some point I realized like all of a sudden I want to, I want to coach. I want to be an athletic director. I want to impact as many people as I can. And then I started realizing that, oh my God, I'm doing it in the classroom because then I got like department science chair, like you'd said by default or whatever, lack of right. people or experience or no one else there. And so before you knew it, I just started seeing like the bigger picture, I could do this more, I could do this more. And so, you know, when we talked the other day and you said, so what led you to this? I didn't, I never thought like I could do this more, but now as I look back, you know, kind of as the spiral of my career and my life, I think that's been a common theme is I'm always like, wait, I, I could impact more. I could, I could spread this message more and the message gets stronger. And the compass, as you said, starts, you know, going from Northeast to Northwest to like almost North. And, and I feel like for the first time in my life, I'm like due North, like I'm in my passion, sure. I'm in my role, I'm in responsibility. So do you feel like when you got into this space, did you feel like it, your compass started to straighten out for you? Yeah, for sure. And when I look back on it, what it was, it was all the influential forces of all these educators that I observed and, and helped me kind of fine tune this thing, even in a small school. You know, like you said, they all share roles. And not only was I the band director, I was also the seventh grade girls B team basketball coach. And I taught typing and I taught Spanish and I don't even speak Spanish. And you know, all those things, but, you know, and like the superintendent had the monopoly on driver's ed, like, and, you know, and then in our, in our athletic director was also the counselor, which is hilarious because little girls would go in there with a problem. He's like, what's your problem now? You know, it's like, brother. you know, he was a total football coach kind of guy, but to watch those coaches, both men and women coaches, to, uh -huh. to watch Peggy Swartz on the volleyball court and on the track and serving like, oh my gosh, this is the best mom i've ever seen for these girls right and watch sam and all these other and johnny and all these other coaches on the football field talk the way they talk to their players and i was thinking man i wish i had a man of my life that that it could influence me like that and i had i wish i could learn the lessons and and what's cool about those schools especially in athletics is they know we're not producing nfl players here <laughs> that's never going to happen none of these kids are going to get a scholarship one kid can punt maybe he might go somewhere but they're here to make great men in yes. these communities and, and our, our women coaches are a great influential, strong women that's going to serve in these communities. And th that's what I love about it. So yeah, like when I look back, all those people from all those schools and all, and every, every to come across has really played some ingredient in the recipe of me fine tuning where I'm at right now. Right. So then introduce our guest to teach like a rock star, how, you know, the, the person who, Used to have long hair, but now, you know, looks, looks, looks a little bit, a little bit different, you know, with a beard and, and the less hair, but yet, but yet you're, you're, who Howl is, has never really changed. I think it's just developed and right. And it's really enhanced and you've evolved, but I mean, to, to the person that you're evolved where you have, you know, thousands of people who understand your message, hear your message, follow your message. I mean, take us into who Hal Bowman is today. Yeah, man, this whole teaching a rock show thing is, is interesting. You know, when we we came up with this idea, 
All I knew is I wanted to teachers to understand that this professional development event, more than a workshop, this is going to be an event, is something unlike anything they've ever experienced. And I wanted them knowing that when they come in, because oftentimes in this profession and this space in which we work, you know, they, they know what they're getting into. And that's why they sit in the back of the room and they bring their cheesy crackers and the paper they're going to grade and because it's going to be boring, but I want to know this is going to be engaging. It's going to be emotional. And we're going to shift the trajectory of our lives, spending the day together. So that was, and it had nothing to do with being, you know, the rock stars. Like we want, I want the teachers to get that there, that we want these classes where these kids just are just crave to come to, and they want to be a part of that experience. Just like when you went to your first journey concert, we want that, we want them to remember for the rest of their lives, how that emotion felt when they're in that classroom. And me, the, the, whole, the whole point of it, even to this day, is helping teachers find a way to do what they've always wanted to do, do what they signed up to do, and that is to be the most influential adult in the lives of kids. Like that when you come down to it, like whether you teach third grade or, you know, AP literature at the high school, we all want to be the one that makes a difference in the lives of kids. And the question is, how do we do that? How do we use the content of our classroom as the vehicle to do that. And that, and for me, like that's the focus of it. And as we all know from the research, once we figure that part out, we have more academic achievement in our classes than we have ever before. So when you when you speak to teachers without unpacking your entire content like that, that's not what I'm asking you to do. In other words, but what are some strategies that our listeners could take away if their compass is spinning? And they're not yeah. sure whether I should be in education. If I am in education, am I lost? You know, that where you were at the beginning. So when you speak to new teachers or struggling teachers, what are some suggestions or strategies that our listeners could take away to kind of help them maybe repurpose themselves or figure out where they were at when they're kind of lost? You know, for me, man, it always comes down to the first, so the, the big three, the, the big three questions. And one is that we already talked about is sitting down and taking time to dig down deep into what it is you really want for your kids and coming to terms with the fact they're going to forget all the stuff you teach them. But it doesn't matter because they have that on Google. They can find it. They have access to your information. They're going to be fine, I promise. But in addition to that, what, what is it that we can bring to their life that they can't learn on the Googles? What is it that we want the kid to internalize and actually change the DNA of a kid and leave a legacy? And that's what, gonna, that's what they're going to pass on to their own kids for generations because of your classroom. Getting clear and be able to articulate what that is, is deeply, deeply important. And the second is the why. Like if you think about this profession, it is filled with the most intelligent, creative, resourceful, kind, compassionate, empathetic people on the planet, a group of people that could do anything, but they choose to come back year after year after decade after, and it gets harder and we have more kids and we have less resources and they keep coming back. And now we, we, we got a little bit of a pay raise, but because insurance costs some more, we're actually making less and we come back. It doesn't matter what happens. We keep coming back and now mm -hmm. we have, we, we don't, some of our teachers don't even have kids in person and we are masking, we have plexiglass, we're six feet and we come back. And, the, and it's really important to get clear about why. Why do you do this job? And to, get, and to be able to not just articulate it for yourself, but for your kids so they can know, so they can hear why you do this above everything else. And the third 
man, if I had to recommend anything, not just the what, just the why, but to dig a little deeper and to think about if that's going to happen and I'm, I'm going to have the impact that I wanted to have and the impact that these kids deserve to have in their life, who do I need to be? Not what do I need to do, not what kind of instructional strategy, not the how, but who do I need to be? What are those qualities of character? Because remember what we're trying to do, we're trying to impact the lives of kids. And we all know that if, if, ki if kids are gonna be it, they have to see it first, they have to see what it looks like before they can be it. I have to show it so I can grow it in that kid. So to outline that, and, to, and you know, this is, these, are, these, are, these are fluid answers that changes over time as mm -hmm. you grow and, and you get new kids and new experiences and new needs in your classrooms. What do I want for my kids? why am I doing this job? What of all the professions I could do? Why this one? And who do they need me to be? Who do I need to be for them? If I'm going to have the impact that I want to have and they deserve having in their life. No, those are three powerful, reflective, thought-provoking pieces that I think you are extremely talented as your craft to bring people through because some people, how like you, like you just acknowledged, like they get stuck on maybe a question, one of those two or three, right? And so I think where I would encourage people, if you're getting stuck, like I'm telling you, like how is the guy to get you through those three talking points? Because, you know, you mentioned one simpler, like don't worry, they can Google it, right? So I, always, I have this quote that we use and it was by a student, Hal, because I think students sometimes can tell us some of the most profound things. And so we had just had Ron Clark, like the Ron Clark. I had never paid more for a keynote speaker in my entire life. What and I brought idea. this man in and he did you buy a house. You could hire Ron for an hour. Too. I know. Right. So here's the deal. But I brought Ron in. And my point was, is he was phenomenal. Thousand people showed up to our conference. We had a line around our building. But here's what's funny is we ended up impromptu putting an elementary, middle school and a high school student on stage. And when the high school got the mic out in front of a thousand people, one thing that I think that she stood out is she basically said, and here I'll paraphrase it with this quote, but she said, if, if you don't connect with me, why should I content with you? Because at the end of the day, I can go home and look up all of your content or curriculum on the computer and the internet, right? And she didn't say it in a threatening way. She almost just said it like, and, you know, and I took that and I turned it into a quote, but I try to explain to educators not just, not particularly just new educators, but the educators that have been in for a little while. I said, you know, some of you are stuck using a 1999 playbook in 2021. Yeah. Because you're, you're thinking, well, the reason you should listen to me is because uh, I told you to, and I have a degree. Yeah. I've been teaching 25 years and, you know, and it's like, well, that all sounds great. If you were in 1999 you know, even to early 2000s, right? But 20 plus years later, as you mentioned, you just said it, it keeps changing. The answers keep changing sure. because times keep changing. And I think differentiation is a huge way that I try to unpack my curriculum and my ideas because not everybody can be me and not everybody can be Hal Bowman, but you can be you, but you got to figure out how to be you just with those three aspects that you talked about. So when you, when you hear like, old playbook versus new playbook. What are your thoughts or what does that resonate with you? Man, I'll tell you what resonates with me is in addition to that, not only do I see that, but in addition to that, I see teachers using their personal learning playbook for kids. And they forget that as the teacher, you're the weirdo. 
the normal kids don't like sitting and getting normal kids you know teachers enjoy those not all i'm totally some i mean generalizing for sure absolutely but lots of teachers come into this profession because they were really good academically and they were good at sitting there doing what they're told and focusing and not getting in trouble and being a part of the band and sitting first chair in the clarinet section and their student council and the honors like that they did the, they knew how to do the game and they liked it that's that's not normal kids that's the one kid in the class and they can't, and they come into it with their playbook that this is how kids learn. And this is awesome. And they're going to love it. Just like I loved it. That's not kids. That, 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 that there's one, you're going to show up and be one kid. Sarah is going to sit in the front row and she, that she's going to be all about it. But the other 29, I'm kidding. The other 34 in your overcrowded classroom, this is not their playbook. And, and you're right, man. When, when, when they, the playbook is when that kid, the one kid will will content first for sure. Absolutely. The other thirty four, <laughs> they have to connect. They have to be. They have to buy into you, and love you, and you love them. And I can't tell you how many teachers would ask me when I was teaching some challenging classes. You know, I taught this one class where it was we it was a team leadership class, but what we used it for was for all the kids coming back from alternative school. We gave mm -hmm. them me for a period, so we called it halfway house. And in fact, in fact, kids, the kids called it Bowman's Dirty 30, because we always had 30 kids in there coming from alternative school to integrate them back into this giant campus. And teachers would ask me, how, how do you, like, how can you love those kids like you do? I was like, listen, I didn't, I didn't, I don't even know them when they show up. I don't like them because I don't have an opinion. I have no idea who they are. So I would love them. Like I would actively, like as a verb, love them. Because if I love them enough over and over, the action of loving them, then I would feel the emotion of loving them. Right. No, I, I think, and it's so interesting because um, one of the works that we do is reentries, which is that reentry piece from the home campus, you know, from the DAEP back to the home campus. Yep. And I use a little quick video, and it's funny how there's this little African American boy, and he walks into the classroom, and it's like kindergarten, right? And he walks in, and he comes in, and they're like, "Oh my God, where have you been?" And he was like, "Oh, you know," he was like, "He was homesick." And this one girl's like, "You got a haircut," and I was like, "Oh my God!" But I said, "Look at how." I mean, everybody runs up to him. He's hugging him or whatever. Yeah. I said, "That's how your kids should feel when they've missed one day of school." Or yeah. they've been gone at the DAP. I said, but the problem when they come back from the DAP house, nobody's at the front door going, how? Right. Where have you been? For? What they're doing is you walk in and they're like, has it been 45 days already? Right. right. They're like, yeah. can somebody check that? Is there been a manifestation? I mean, did, did we there's know no the hell was coming? But his points that there's, yeah, there's exactly. No. Are they doing two for one days over there? There's right. no way that Hal Bowman has finished his time and the discipline alternative placement program. So we need to check this, right? And so what I try to explain to them is, is like when you bring those kids back, so what Dirty 30 was doing was a transitional kind of a hug. Yeah. And even if they were reluctant for a hug, man, it was just like, hey, you're welcome. And so yeah. what's crazy is, 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 is I'll give people a couple of quick strategies. One, when they're coming back, handpick their teachers. Find teachers. Those teachers who want that kid. Right. But also don't put this, don't put the same kid back in the same teacher that kicked him out 30 times prior to yeah. the placement, right? Handpick their teachers. And then what we try to do is, you know, give the teachers a heads up that they are coming back, but have kind of a pre-conference. And then what I tried to do, Hallis, I literally, we would literally break bread 
before the kid went back in. I said, hey, what do you want for breakfast tacos or, you know, whatever. And I said, so tomorrow morning, I'll get your duty covered. You don't have to come in earlier, show up at regular time. We're just going to meet in the conference room and we're just going to welcome Hal back. Right. Yep. And Hal would freak out because he'd be like, why are y'all all here for me? And we're like, you said, I think what you just described is what I was, I didn't find the words, Hal, but I think that's what I was trying to get the teachers to do. Just love him. Right. Yeah. Just love him. Doesn't have to be a verb yet. But if you just say, hey, how I'm just glad you're being back. Can't wait to see what you can do. Don't talk about what he did. Don't say, well, I hope you've changed. Don't, you know, don't throw any shade. Just break bread, say good morning, have a conversation with him. And yeah. then let's see where it goes. And can you imagine? I mean, you would be surprised at how many teachers are like that was that was like awesome. Like and the kid would like that was for me. Like yeah. these intentional things like people welcome me back. Man, if there's any administrators listening, I can't tell you how powerful it is to have a class. In theory, it doesn't make sense. I'll wait a minute. I'm going to have a homogenous grouping of all these kids that just came back, and we're going to put them together. It doesn't make sense. But here's the thing. When they come back, they feel so disconnected and so alone. This this lets them to be a part of something. They feel connected to something. And in addition to that, if you have the right teacher in the room, we they, they can learn how to set this thing up in such a way that you're right. When they come back, None of these kids ask, what, what, what were you in for, man? It, that's not a part of it. That's not what we're doing here. And we want them to feel connected. So if the kid doesn't, if, if it's Wednesday and we're missing two of them, all these kids, I say, get out your phones and call that kid. Let's, let's find out where he is, see if he's okay. Send him a message. And he just got 30 messages from the yeah. whole class. Dude, you all right? You okay, man? You need anything? We miss you. See you tomorrow. That's Dude. powerful. That alone right there, those tiny things, man, is what it's all about. Sometimes we think that building these connections and making a difference is like this monumental effort. It's not. It's a, it's the tiniest little things that changes a kid's life. Okay. So I'm just going to segue right there because this is my favorite part to have discussions with educators. And you and I really, really never talked about this. So then you just said it. It seems like it's, it needs to be monumental. It seems like it is. So how, I mean, I've never asked you this question. Then what, what's getting in the way then? Like, why is it so hard for us as leaders and for teachers and people in the educational space to jack this up? I mean, because a lot of times people go, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, well, I kind of train teachers how to build relationships with kids and connect with them. And they're just like, shouldn't that be common? You know, and you're like, well... It should be, and particularly, but so what's your really, what's your real opinion on why, what are some of the things that get in the way from these simplistic right. ideas that are, that seem like they would just be natural, like, why aren't we all doing them to like, wow, how's Dirty 30 was like the most amazing thing ever and nobody's ever would consider doing it. And you said, yeah. I know it sounds crazy, but so what are your, some of your thoughts? You know, some of my thoughts is a lot of us in education. Not, again, not everyone, but lots of people in education, especially in leadership roles, didn't suffer when they were in school. So they don't get it. They don't have the same reality of what it's like to struggle. They don't have the same reality of what it's like to be bullied or what it's like to have negative associations, negative emotional associations. There's so many people walking around when they think about school and teaching and teachers and they go, oh, God, thank God I'm out of there. I don't ever want to go back. So since we can't relate to it, it's hard to think about solutions and get creative to empower those kids that are struggling. And in addition to that, I really believe that sometimes we underestimate the impact that we're having because we can't see a result, especially at the junior high, high school level. Mm -hmm. When we're doing those little tiny things, it's not like you know some 17-year-old kid with a neck tattoo is gonna say, stand up and say, hey, thanks, Mr. Curtis, you just changed my life. That was awesome. They, they don't do that, right? 
they 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 remain cool and they and they stay in character. They don't look up, and we think, well, that didn't work. It did work. We just, for some reason, in our mind, we need to see the evidence. And I'm here to tell you, man, like I for whatever, I don't need it because I just know. Again, believe. I believe it's working. I believe this kid is on a new path now because of those tiny things. Yeah, I oh, I definitely, I definitely believe in everything that you said. I I will share some of my barriers or content. I think education is a little archaic in its approach, particularly as we were talking about prior to the show, like my daughter streaming, right? And how these people, young people can start to make a, an income, even a passive income at times doing so yeah. many things that don't involve education or college prep readiness, right? So I think there's, there's the same old playbook, whatever year you want to put on it, that said, oh, education is to prepare us for college, or like you said, it's either college or fast food, right? It's either black or white. And I think what's happened is, is technology, society, jobs have opened up. There is a big gap between fast food and, and college. And so now a lot of college or a lot of high schools are just pushing the herds of educator, uh, students in education towards SAT, SAT or ACT, college prep, you know, all of these things. And not everybody fits on that highway anymore. And so, as you said, if you're a kid that's going to go to Harvard or Brown and you're the one that sits in the front of the class and you can, you're, there is a track for you. But I think what happens is, is education hasn't really awakened to say, there are so many tracks for so many different students, yes. but it's crazy for me is one, because then what happens is, is we're all still trying to push them like cattle down a content lane. So therefore, if that, that trickle effect to me, Hal, is, is then therefore the teachers know, well, my job's not to prepare them to be a streamer or whatever. My job's not to connect with them. My job's to prepare them for college, right? It's a secondary level. And then what happens is, is no matter where all those highways converge at the very beginning, you know, I've always said connect before content. There is no accountability for connections. Nobody ever says, hey, how's the, you know, there's a relationship report that says, you know, you're below everybody else. And we don't talk about it like that. We talk about yeah. benchmarks, academic status, uh, standardized scores. So there is no other than Panorama, you know, using some, some software to identify belonging and different things like that. We really don't like take those those soft skills into consideration because they're nice but i'm not evaluated on it it's not my job performance isn't my pay isn't surrounded that and we're teachers we're just good soldiers tell me what to do but i'm here primarily to teach these kids get them to behave get them ready for the next level and at the end of the day if i build a relationship or whatever those are like bonus things or something so i mean i don't know that's just kind of my little soapbox yeah, man, it's so true, and, and it's so fascinating how we call them soft skills in education, but on Google, on Amazon, these are the hard skills that they're desperately searching for. You know, they're incredibly smart people everywhere, all over the planet, but what they want are compassionate people that can collaborate with one another and, and serve as an inspiring force in a creative meeting. You know, like that, like that is what they are having a problem working for. And just, and like the whole, you know, this whole streamline these kids to college thing is, just, you know, I, I'd say one thing I'm really excited about is just how awesome these CTE programs are coming out. Mm -hmm. I mean, oh my God, just, I mean, the work, I mean, I'm thinking about up in your neck of the woods up there, like what Susie Mitchell is doing over at Hayes Consolidated. I mean, the Fireman Academy and barbering and all the, all the stuff that, 
people never even think of. Yes, we have welding and automotive and all that stuff, but all the other skills that kids are coming into, because you're right, it's really difficult to have that old school, old 19, play, 1990 playbook about going to college when these kids are going to be saddled with $100,000 of debt with a job where they're going to make 50 grand. It, it, it's really difficult. And just in my neighborhood alone, We've got a kid who streams on Twitch playing video games, making hundreds of thousands of dollars so kids can watch him play video games. It's the most bizarre thing. My own son has a little business where he um, buys stuff from China, and he has like an agent in China that somehow networks with shipping, and, and, and he sells stuff at the skate park to his little skateboard homies, making a few hundred a month. You know, it's crazy. No, I, I it's interesting. So- as I listen to what you said, look what look what this is. This is where we celebrate, right? Somebody in Hayes Consolidated starts barber school, firefighters, right? In in here's what I've learned about education. It's exactly when Harry Barry White Jr. started doing handshakes, and we saw this video, and he was on the Oprah, and it's when Michael Bonner gets on there for making a rap video with his kids, and I'm not even putting him down. Right. I'm like, we celebrate the small accomplishments in education that in my opinion are so far out the play outside the playbook that we're like, wow. And I'm not saying they're not wow, but my question is if they're so wow, why aren't everybody else doing it? And this is this here. I'll take you this back to this. And I, I mean, no disrespect to Ron Clark. I mean, again, he does amazing things, but it's interesting. I always show this video of, of Ron Clark when he, and it was about, Oh, probably 13 years into opening his Academy. And they show him and he's dancing and he's doing all the moves with the kids. And they're like, what's all this behind you? And he starts talking about what the Ron Clark is founded on, about building connections to kids, meeting kids where they're at, blah, you know, all of these things. And he's like, and every single kid's gone to college, but one, and he brings up college, but all those. And I just tell him, but then when you write down the video, I take it down the text. I'm like, look what Ron Clark said. He didn't even mention content or curriculum. He mentioned college, but how is he getting kids to go to college? He's not even focused on content or curriculum, right? He's focused on all the other things. And we all flocked to Atlanta, Georgia, because I talked to Michael Bonner on the show. And he said, Kevin, I said, how do you, how do you teach at the Ron Clark? He said, you can't be off because there's hundreds of teachers coming in at a time watching you teach at all times. So you can't be off, right? Yeah. But imagine in that environment, right? And everybody's coming to see you. And I'm not putting it down, but I'm like, you're just focusing on the things that we're just talking about, right? Yeah. And you're focused, you've built, you've built a school, instead of, you know, all the little crazy things, you've put all those crazy things into a formal setting. And so now you may be teaching barbers and fire, but why? So when are we going to get schools to catch fire and get the contagion effect to say, why are we all, why is Hayes, which is celebrating, but why are we not all offering some type of barber or firefighter or streaming or whatever? And I'm like, what? I, I met a, I'm sorry, I'm on a soapbox for a second, Hal. I met a high school principal in Arlington and he came to my training. And at the end of the training, he came to me and said, man, I really enjoyed this. He said, you know why I enjoyed this? Because I was the kid that sat with my Game Boy in the cafeteria by myself. And I said, oh, okay. And he said, and what you're talking about is, is really like bringing us all together as a community, blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay. And he said, because I was that kid, he goes, I started a video game, like competition club in my school. And I was like, what? He goes, yeah, we're the only one in Arlington ISD. Like my kids actually, like we have a club, but like I bring my home system and we play after school and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, dude, how can I help? 
He's like, shut up. I'm like, Lone, let's get some gaming systems in there. Let's get some shirts. Let's get some of those three quarters t-shirts like we yeah. used to wear. In the... But no, man, they, these kids were literally going to competitions in like no jerseys and all these other schools and other organizations were showing up. The reason I said that, Hal, is he was doing something that was so far outside the box. But Arlington, and I'm not criticizing Arlington ISD. I'm just saying like, but the district's like, let's see what this model looks like, which is great. But it's like, when are we going to get contagious on firefighters and gaming systems and, and a new, we need to rewrite a playbook for education for, you know, moving forward. So instead of being the outside the box, the, we flip the box inside out and those things become the norm. Sorry. I was a little long-winded. No, man, listen, just that gaming thing alone. I mean, there's a, there's one of my daughter's friends is in second year in college and he's there on a esports scholarship. Dude, you know what that- I mean? He's not studying anything that has to do with gaming, you know, but that that's his paying his way. It's unbelievable. I mean, let me say this also to those teachers here. I get it. Ron is a giant personality. All those teachers are giant personalities. And some teachers think that isn't me. I get it. A lot of that ain't me either. I admit I have a little bit of a three-winged circus in my room or some shenanigans happening. Definitely. But you know what? I don't think I don't I I don't think I would fit in to teach there. But I will say this: I think sometimes we overlook the stuff that matters to kids, the little stuff, because we're numb to it. You know, here's the perfect example. Every time I see this, it drives me nuts. Is there will be some meme on Facebook or Twitter or wherever, where it'll be like the last one I saw was there an assistant. There was assistant principal laying down in the parking lot with a kid and the kid was having just a, just a bad day and the kid threw a temper tantrum and just laid down and the assistant principal laid down and there's a shot of them talking looking at each other laying down there's another one it's a famous one the kid was laying on the stage in the cafeteria it was an autistic child and she just was overwhelmed with the volume and the chaos of the cafeteria in the morning and they, they, they have her weighted blanket over her and her friend the custodian gets under the blanket with her and there's a shot there's a there's a, there's a, there's a, a photograph of them talking and people think, oh my God, that's so sweet. I love that. And there's a picture of a teacher in the hallway hugging a child and the kid's crying and she's consoling. I love that. But what drives me crazy is that happens in thousands of schools every single day. But because we're teachers and we see it every day, we're numb to it. And we don't recognize the beauty and the power and this kid's life is being, because we see, this is our job, but we see it every day. Right. So yeah, I, I love rapping and I love every this handshake, whatever thing happens. I love all this stuff. I, I'm, I do some of it, but I think let's not forget those little moments that change a kid's life for sure. No, I, first of all, thank you for bringing me back down off my, I get, I, I'm very passionate. No. And so I definitely go back to what you were saying. We, we all need to figure out how to be ourselves yeah. And, and I think my point in illustrating that isn't, was, isn't that the truth, man? Like being authentically you in every way, like a hundred percent authentically you in front of your kids. That's what matters. Well, but nobody teaches us that. Oh man. So, 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 so when you see the handshake guy, you're like, Oh, I want to be like that. Right. I think what my point about the handshake and everything else is even about what happening in Hayes is I don't know why it's not the norm. I guess that's where I was going is it's always the exception. And I look at the exception and I'm like, well, if it's so darn successful, then why aren't we all doing it? And I think as you brought me back down, I, I think authentically, nobody taught me 
okay, you're going into teaching. There was no preparation class, Hal. There was nothing in college ed. You know, so my point is, is like they teach you to get ready for content. They teach you an illusion of classroom management or, or, or you know, philosophy or whatever. And then you, you get in there. But I think where is the gap and the permission? And I'll say this because I do think that this is huge. I was training 75 educators the other day. And I try to tell the principals, if you don't give permission for your teachers to be authentic, then it's just inferred. So true. And, and, and so I, I started doing something completely different, Hal, after, you know, because even in getting in, in, in speaking and consulting and stuff, I still realized there's a lot of things I was jacking up. And that's what I tell people. I, I've been jacking this up for a while. But the one thing I think that did help me, Hal, is I used to tell them, look, whenever I get done, first of all, you got to put a frame. You got to say, why are we here today? Because I don't want to just hand me the mic and they're like, so who is he? What, what, am I coming back? What's the purpose? Why are you? And right, then at yeah. the end, here's what I tell them. I need you to verbally tell them that I get I have this phrase. You've heard me say it called power and permission. I tell them, I give you permission to go back and be authentic, to be real, to be genuine, to connect with kids. Like I need you to tell them that because if they don't hear that from you and then I tell them, then when you walk in their classrooms and if they're not teaching content, 90% of every teacher goes deer in the headlights and like, yep. uh-oh, right? And I tell them, then you go, if you walk in the room, you go from evaluation to participation. Do not, do not evaluate that. You know I mean, I don't care if it's part of their PDOS or whatever you call it now, T, whatever it is, right? Whatever they got on. My point is don't evaluate them. Yeah. Don't evaluate, participate. And watch your teachers start to trust you because now you've not just said it, you've practiced it, right? And, and I'm telling you how when when we can, so what we have to do, Hal, is I think our job together is to form that new playbook with the work that we do, the strategies do, the platform that we have, because if we can't give, if we can teach them the how and the, and the, and the why and all of the tools behind our mindset, and then if the administrators would just give them permission and get out of our way, then we can start to transform them because then we'll give them permission to be themselves. Yeah. I think the, the key, the, the reason that permission is so important is one, the personality of a teacher, the, not all again, generalizing needs permission. They need to be say, it's okay to do this. Because remember the reason they're successful academically growing up is because they were successful at doing what they're told. So let's tell them here, you can do this and be you. And in addition to that, many times in education that we've simply focused on those research-based strategies that are, well, this isn't a, re this, you can't quantify most of this stuff. You can't put this in a spreadsheet. We can see that it works anecdotally. We can talk to kids and they can tell you that it works, but because you can't quantify it in, in an academic traditional research methods way you know that the, 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 the it's hard to teach it's hard to justify to pay for that teaching but we know that it works and man all you have to do is just talk to kids and watch kids thrive in classes with those teachers that are open and authentic and openly love kids and we're given the permission to be the teacher that those kids need and i think what i love what you do is you help shape that narrative around them because Let's say you give them that whole mindset. You get that compass to slow down, right? You give them the why and who do they want to be and all that stuff. 
And then I think what I'm really good at, Hal, is then I can come in and tell them the how part. Yep. But 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 my message is also reinforced with why, right? So it's right. the way the two fit together is, and so I I think it's so important that if they don't think through those three pieces that you give through them and honestly be honest with themselves. And, you know, I look back and I think back to that conversation, the relationship that you had for your mother, because at the end she could have pulled out a piece of paper, you know, and you could have just kind of given her the surface answers, or you could have chosen to truly look inside and reflect. And I, and, and I think just from the outside in, Hal, and I've only heard snippets of what you've done. I've never really attended the full show, you know, the full experience. And just from the outside looking in, Hal, I look back and I'm thinking to that conversation with a, le- a yellow legal pad and a red pen, yeah. how that started to transform Hal then into how who Hal is now. I think it, I think it was super profound in asking you to go through that process. And then you started realizing the power of it and started taking others through that process. Man, it's, it's the foundation of it all, which is what I do today. And, you know, your work is a little bit different because you include foundational information of why and how and all that. But for a typical, let's just say a teacher is struggling with, you know, scores, standardized test scores that teaches fourth grade mathematics. And her scores, they compare it, and she's struggling with her scores with the kids. So they send her to all kinds of professional development on instructional strategies and techniques for teaching mathematics. Well, you know what? If she doesn't have the foundation in place, all that stuff is going to come falling down. You know, if she doesn't have the how and the why, and for her to get connected with who she wants to be, who her kids need her to be, all those instructional strategies aren't going to matter. And so with what I try to help people understand, like what with what I do, just like with what I with what you do, this isn't more stuff are adding onto the teacher's plate. This is the plate upon which we can give them all the instructional strategies that they can use to serve their kids. So I came up with a little tagline as I'm starting to transform to RCL. And I said, build your school on a rock of relationships instead of the sands of initiatives. That's it, man. Because if you have a visual and I want to create this out of visual, right? Initiatives or, and I'm not putting them down by any means, and they're not negative, but initiatives are social, emotional learning, culture, diversity, content, literature, right? Those are all, those are all going to come delivered into your school in a big binder or a big notebook, right? Yeah. And what's interesting, Hal, is what you and I bring are, doesn't come in a big binder, doesn't come in a big notebook. There's not a trainer of trainers. That's why I tell people, I'm not a program, I'm a process, right? And much like weight loss, everybody gains and loses it different. So it's our job to find, to express, expose them to the continuum of this rock of relationships. Because I guarantee you, Hal, if you ask 100 educators, you say, what are your thoughts on connect before content? They're all going to be like, absolutely. But then, like you said, they're like, but where's the research behind it? You know, and there's definitely research behind the power of connections and stuff. But as you said, what education, and I say this with all the respect, it's nobody, it's neither one of you or I in the room, but what people who make decisions in education who's never been in education want is where's the qualitative and quantitative data that supports that relationships will improve instruction and will improve, you know, and it's just like, are you kidding me? Like, like if we could just all get on the same page. Because it was what you said. That's what I said. How do you build a foundation? I mean, how do you build a school without a foundation? 
right? It's in just the sand. And then your school starts slipping apart. And then, but then yet how there are schools out there that are rock solid, that need you and I, but no, we're just enhancing and taking them to the next level. And then there's schools that are falling apart, but they're expecting us to come in how and like lay concrete where all the cracks and all the sand have gone through. Yes. And we're not miracle workers, right? And you're like, hey, if you don't have this foundation, it's really hard. And so is that is that a good visual? Does that help out with you? Yeah, man, I'll tell you, it's not it's not just hard, it's darn near impossible. Possible. It's you, it's you have to stop everything you're doing. I have a friend who did this um years ago, became a principal in ninth grade and just went to a ninth grade center and just was it was a mess. It was a disaster. And it was apparent within his first couple of days, and they stopped everything and said, We are going to reevaluate everything we do. Right. Let's start with where do the buses drop off kids in the morning? Is that the best place? Yes. That was day one. It's the first <laughs> thing we do. When they come into the, like they went through every minute of the school day. How do we do this and why do we do it? Is that really, the, is, does that serve teachers? Or does that serve the kids? And they went through everything. And like, I think sometimes there are schools and situations you have to start over and rebuild rather than bringing in another initiative that's going to this last this year until they get a new grant or a new principal who brings something else in. And it's all, you know, I, I, I went to a, a meeting a while back and it was with an oil company that was going to sponsor my program in schools. And they said, hey, while you're here, I want you to look at these different STEM curriculums we're going to put in schools. I said, okay, cool. And they, there was three of them. And they just laid, laid them out on the marble table. And they said, um, how about this one? I said, that one right there is garbage. That is a That one is terrible. If the teacher's terrible. If, if, they, if, they, if they have an awesome teacher, that one is awesome. This one here, this next one is the best. If they have the best, the best teacher. teacher. <laughs> that is what it comes down to. Do you know what I mean? Like all that stuff really doesn't matter. I can show you schools on the border of Mexico sending kids to Brown and Columbia all over. And they've got a chalkboard with a yardstick and a piece of chalk. And they're crushing it because of, of their, their school core values, how they relate to kids, the relationships in place. They don't even have curriculum. They don't have windows. And they are amazing. Well, I, I think where you and I unite on this front, both coming from struggling educators, first in the careers, small schools, growing through large schools, and then ending up in this common space of speaking, motivating, and educating educators is, is um, I think, whether we recognize it or not, we're trying to blow it up, Hal. Like we're trying yeah. to, I tell people I'm trying, I'm trying to get the box to get rid of that phrase, what you were just saying. We've always done it this way, right? right. Well, so Hal and Kevin are here to try to tell you that if you want to break out the box and you want to do something different, we've got some options for you. We actually, um, I'm excited um, not to just partner with Hal on this, but Hal is going to be a keynote speaker on our conference coming up. So, you know, I look back, Hal, and um, I think of the, I'm giving you total kudos here, the, 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 the men in education group that you created. Yes. I'd love to give a quick shout out before that, but I will just tell you this. I've increased my professional learning network just in that group alone tenfold. Mm -hmm. I mean, tenfold, right? And so before we mention the conference, do you want to give a shout out on the men in education if you're still encouraging men to yeah, join that? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that the whole men in ed group on Facebook is just simply, you know, six, seven, eight hundred men across the nation who relish in the role that we have simply as oftentimes, most times serving as a dad in the lives of 
kids. We have school board members, superintendents, principals, speakers, authors, consultants, teachers, coaches, and it is, you know, just amazing group of men that love kids and want to make a difference in their lives. And that is the focus on how can we become better people so we can serve our kids better. And man, if you don't mind, let me shout out. I have a book that was. Oh, I'm getting there too. Oh, I'm going to oh, get all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll just start. So let me ask you a question because when Men and Ed started, it was such a secret society. We had to have like this personal invite from Hal. So at this point, how do people yeah. join? And if they want to join, yeah, is, is it made it public now? Yeah, Facebook.com slash men and ed. And it and you'll you'll see, man. Like I think what it is, rather than being this, you know, big active community, what it really does, it serves as an opportunity for what you said is to build closer relationships with other men in this uh, education community that they can connect with and grow with. Absolutely. Uh before we get to the book, let's just say we are having a virtual conference, the Relationship Center Learning Conference. It's going to be a virtual conference until we can have our in-person conference, which how will also be a participant. And that's going to be in February of 22. But in the meantime, July 13th and 14th, not too far around the corner, is a great opportunity to come spend. And it's not even all day. It's till like two o'clock in the afternoon. So the best part is it doesn't take up your entire day. We're breaking it up over two days. We're going to have great speakers. But our first keynote speaker to close out day one is going to be Hal. So much more of the message that you heard today, but a lot more passion, a lot more charisma, a lot more of how um, you're going to get on that day. But the message of the conference is kind of what we were just talking about here. We're going to bring in speakers that can talk to you about well, how do you focus on relationships? How do you work on social emotional learning? How do you focus on uh, CTEs in the classroom and doing these things? So we're going to have a variety of speakers. I've identified it as the Relationship-Centered Learning Conference due to the fact that we are really focusing on relationships being at the center of learning and that rock of relationships. So anything that stacks on top of that is going to be open game for being speaking at the conference. So since this is coming out just in the next couple of weeks, um, if any speakers, if you believe you have a passion in education and uh, and this is going to be a platform that you want to be heard, then you're going to head over to rclfirst.com and you're going to click on the RCL conference. You can either join to be a participant or you can sign up to be a speaker. And so what we'll be looking for is just dynamic virtual speakers, 45 minute sessions, not a lot of your time, but the, the time that you're given that day collectively is going to be something I don't think you're going to want to miss. How anything else to add to that? And I can't say this is um, here's what I love about this conference is it's full of for those of you who think about signing up, it's full of people like you. Like, that's the beauty of it. You know, when we go to other conferences across the nation, you know, so there's some people there for the curriculum and some there for the pedagogy and some, but these are, this is a conference dedicated solely to those people who want to build relationships with kids in such a way that, well, like what we talked about, become the most influential adult in their life, the one they're going to talk about, remember forever. And these are for those people that want to shift the trajectory of a child's life. And man, just even being a part of it. And then like, I mean, just I'm, I'm pumped to, to watch all the other speakers because you, what you'll find are there are these gems out there, like these people that's doing this heroic work anonymously in schools across the nation. And then the fact that we'll get introduced to them and see how they do it and what they do and why they do it. I'm telling it is inspiring. Awesome, brother. All right. So now I want to talk about this book because Man, blowing up Amazon, number one in a bunch of categories. So yeah. tell me how you and Doc, just before we introduce the book, tell me just a quick story, how you and Doc got together so that you guys could say, okay, let's make this happen. 
Yeah, so I, I found out about somebody said, hey, you should have this guy uh, on your show on on the I, there's a show I do over the help a teacher Facebook page. And there's about a half a million teachers over there on that page. And I had I had Doc Brad and we just kind of hit it off. And then and, you know, and then in the next day he says, hey, I'm writing this book. Do you want in on it? And immediately I said, no, that's not my thing, man. Did you really and, say no, Hal? Yeah. <laughs> I don't do that. And, um, <laughs> And he says, you don't understand. He goes, what it is, it's a bunch of little chapters. So you just, I mean, you're always telling stories. Just make each story a little chapter. And then I said, all right, and so let me look into this. And so he, he had a 50 and I was going to write the other 50. And then again, I said, no, because I need it like in just a few, it was like a month away. And I said, no, I, just, I can't bang him out that fast. And and so I said, well, all right, fine. I said, yes. And then I just got into it and it was rough. I will tell you this, man, writing that thing every day, banging out a chapter or two or three a day was really, really challenging, but we pulled it off and it got done. And I think what teachers love about it, man, it's an easy read. It's, it's bite-sized information. It reminds me of like a teacher, like chicken soup for the soul, but just like a little cup of soup, not the whole bowl. <laughs> And so these, these little cups of soup that you can just digest a couple of pages every day. And it's all about, you know, just, just the, just the passion and purpose that we all have for making a difference in the lives of kids. And I think that's why it's resonated so much with educators. All right. So what's the title of the book? And I'm, I know um, they definitely can get it on Amazon. Yeah. Dear teacher. And it's on Amazon and there's a couple of children's books that ain't us. We're the ones with <laughs> <laughs> you without the pictures in it. So yeah, dear teacher, and um, it's it's a great book. And you know, I know a lot of principals have bought them for their staff, and a lot of team leaders have bought them for their team. And it's it's a, it's just a good book to have in your library to refer to when things get hard. Hey Hal, have you gotten a hard copy of it yet? I got the one. Yeah, they they sent me one. Okay, so let me ask you a question because right. I mean. I, I co-authored a book. Yeah. And so my thought is, and being honest here, what did it feel like when you get that book in your hand? Like, honestly, what did that feel like? Cause I know what it was like when you said pounding out those chapters and, yeah. and, and, and the only reason I say this Al, is, is not a competition, but I was, I was putting six voices together. There were six of us co-authoring uh -huh. and we sat in a Denny's in Austin, Texas for like six hours reading yeah. each other's chapters. And the reason I say that is I know how challenging it is already to write a book, but to bring voices together and just, to, you know, put your stuff. So my question is when you finally got that hard copy, in the mail or in your hand what did it feel like for you brother man i get i had mixed feelings about it simply because it was so it was i was turning in chapters every day and there was no time to mull it over and think about it and rewrite it and every chapter I turned in two days later i thought oh i should have put this and so when i finally got it, i was like man i don't even know if this is it because i think i should have changed this but then I was talking to Dr. Adam Sines and some other people, friends of mine that have books out. And they said, man, you'll feel that for the rest. You can spend a year on every chapter. You're still going to have those same feelings. Yeah. So just get it out there. It's valuable. And I, you know what? I feel good now that I know that people love it. I think that's a, I think that's that's always one of our biggest fears is when we put ourselves out there in any any platform. Yeah. But I don't know what it is about, you know, it's not just a blog or it's not just a, a video clip, but when you put yourself out in a book, man, I mean yeah. you're like exposing yourself and you're and you know, for you, Hal, I'll be honest, and you're such a great storyteller. I think that is one of the things that I've learned to appreciate about just listening to you on various podcasts and everything is you're such an amazing storyteller. And so I can't wait to get the book and, I, and to kind of just dive into your stories. 
because you already pulled me in. But I also think that when you put them in writing and it's out there now, right? It's yeah. like hit enter, right? It's out there in the world. Like we are open, our, we do open ourselves for interpretation. And yeah. I think, so just, I would just say one, congratulations. I Thank know you. what hard work that you put into, especially if you had to squeeze your time frame. But two, man, just kudos for the feedback and for the impact. Because I think the feedback and the impact is something that in our world means a lot to us. It, yeah. it drives us, it fills our bucket and it keeps us moving in the right direction. And then uh, just lastly, man, just thank you for being you, man. I am, I look back and I always reflect there are handfuls, as you said, of many educators throughout our entire life from a student yeah. all the way up to even, I meet a teacher now, right? They're just little moments. And I can just tell you how, not just having you on the show, having you in my corner, having somebody to just rely on and just know that's in this space that feels and the passion and those types of things. Man, I cannot thank you enough from just one educator to another educator for what you've decided to do, which is leave education and create a new space for yourself in there, man. Kudos and congratulations on all the success. Man, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And back at you, brother. I've been a, just a big fan of all the job going on. It's so impressive. It's this wave that you've created that uh, is spread from school to school and across the state now across the country. It's just um, awesome because, you know, I think it's just like, um, like we talked about, man, it provides a template that teachers can follow become the teacher, not, not again, not just the why and the who, but exactly what to do and how to do it, which, um, which is so required right now. Now, more than ever, as kids are coming back from the quarantine and, and we're going to be just presented with so many different kinds of behaviors and emotional situations we haven't seen before. And I just love it that people have your work to, uh, to, to, to lean on. Well, appreciate the words, man. Hey, last shout out is this. How do they get a hold of you? I know. Is it HalBowman.com? And- HalBowman.com is the place. Also on social media. I'm not, I'm not really big on social media. I'm trying though. I just I forget about it. But it's at HalBowman everywhere, whether that's uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, YouTube, and whatever the other things are. Well, hey, TikToker. I don't really know. Uh, me either. I, I, yeah, I haven't gotten there either, but I'm on the other platforms you are. But hey, man, I know your time is valuable. You are not only inspiring, you're educating, making a difference in, in people's lives. I just want to thank you for your dedicated, carved out time for me today and to my listeners for being on the show. And for those who don't know, the first time I ever, ever said, I wonder if I want to do a podcast. I just got to shout out how, how yeah. set up a personal meeting for me, walk me through his equipment, walk me through everything, just kind of showed me like things to consider. And so I always tell people at the end of the day, man, like, I don't know if this show would have not lonely. And I just celebrated 50 episodes last week. So for me, it's how I don't know if we would have gotten to 50. I don't know if I got into one without yeah. just your little bit of guidance and pointing in the right direction and just a gentle push of like, just go do it. You know what I mean? So You've got a podcast. You can check out everything about how through halbowman.com. Thanks for being on the show, man. And we will connect with you next time. Thank you, brother.